The Water Values Podcast, Session 137. Welcome to the Water Values Podcast. This is the podcast dedicated to water utilities, resources, treatment, reuse, and all things water. Now here's your host, Dave McGinnis. Hello and welcome to another session of the Water Values Podcast. As my daughter Sarah said, my name is Dave McGibson and thanks so much for joining me. Well, I hope everyone had a great Thanksgiving if you're in the U.S. And for everyone out there, I hope uh, your holiday season is off to a fantastic start. Uh, we have a great show for today. We have Ed Bork of Ed Bork Consulting. He does a lot of wash work. Uh, and so around this time of year, I always try to, to, to highlight kind of a philanthropic uh, type of angle. And uh, we haven't done wash for a couple of years, so I thought I'd... I'd bring someone on to talk about wash, and I think Ed's perspective on wash is going to uh, really kind of open your eyes. I think uh, uh, he, he, has a, he has an interesting perspective on it and a lot of great information. He's got some real hands-on experience from the time he's actually spent working abroad. So this will be, uh, be a fantastic experience for us. Well, before we get into the interview... <clears throat> Got a couple of quick housekeeping items. First, it's been a while since I've run through some of the uh, reviews, and I'd like to do that now. On Stitcher, uh, we got a five-star rating and review uh, from Mark DH92, who left a great, rate, great review. And uh, Mark DH92 says, "Great perspective. As someone that is just beginning my career in the water field, this podcast gives me a great perspective into all the different directions my career could go." It also shows me I have a lot to learn and encourages me that the field I chose is, is of the utmost importance. Thank you for your dedication to water, Dave. Well, thank you for the fantastic review, uh, Mark. I really appreciate it, uh, and you're welcome in terms of the podcast. I really have a great time doing this. Um, the uh, other review that was recently left was from Josh4286, and this one's on Apple Podcasts. And Josh says, I only found this podcast yesterday, and I'm thrilled at how many different episodes I have to look forward to. As a young environmental engineer, this is an awesome resource to learn from numerous perspectives about the industry I am making a career in. I currently work in HVAC, but desalination has always been a dream of mine, and these podcasts have been incredibly informative and enjoyable. Well, I'm glad they've been informative and enjoyable, Josh. I'm glad you're getting something out of it. And uh, thank you so much for, re- for leaving that great rating and review. Uh, we're up to 106, uh, five, or 106 ratings on Apple Podcasts. So we're, get, we're, we're closing in on 100 five-star reviews, uh, five-star ratings on Apple Podcasts. So, you know, we, uh, uh, we're at 97 five-star ratings. So let's try and get to 100 five-star ratings by December 31st, 2018. So if you can, if, you haven't, if you're out there and you're listening uh, and you haven't re- rated and reviewed the podcast, do me a favor, hop on and rate and review the podcast. Uh, and let's try to get to 100 five-star ratings by December 31st. Well, now let's turn to our interview uh, with Ed Bork, and we'll talk a little wash here. So thanks so much for listening. Open your valves, fasten your seatbelts, and here we go. Well, Ed, welcome to the Water Values Podcast. So glad you could come on and share some time with us. Uh, For starters, could you tell us a little about your background and how you got interested in water? Uh, Great. Well, uh, first, thanks for having me. Um, My background is uh, somewhat eclectic. Um, I was originally originally a... uh, uh, urban planner, really. That was that was my first, uh, uh, well, first love, so to speak. 
And then eventually I went back to um, went back to school, uh, did a master's degree, did a PhD. Um, and ever since then, uh, I guess just under a decade since the PhD, I've been uh, working primarily in WASH or, or at least uh, knowledge management of WASH or the, the pseudo uh, information management and communication of WASH. Sure. And, and so uh, I think a lot of folks know what WASH is, but what, uh, you know, for those who don't, could you kind of give us a little thumbnail of what WASH is? Oh, sure. I, I apologize for, for dropping the uh, dropping the acronym. To, oh, to, no, no um, problem. Basically, sure, sure. Um, basically, it's uh, water and sanitation, uh, water, sanitation and hygiene. Um, and so generally uh, what that means is uh, what access to water is or access to sanitation, largely in developing country contexts. Okay. And so, you know, I've had uh, wash guests on before. I always like to around this, around the holidays, like to have kind of a, um, uh, a segment on this. We've done water for people. We've done uh, wash with John Oldfield of like three or four years ago, uh, have had a number of, uh, you know, we did the blue mine with uh, Wallace Nichols. So around this time of year, I think it's a great idea to, to delve into these kinds of topics, uh, it's good any time of year, but especially around the holidays. Um, so, so you know, you, you're in wash. What what exactly are you you doing uh, in the wash space? Can you kind of clarify that? You you mentioned developing countries. Uh, are you primarily international, or where where's your work centered? Um, I'm freelance, so usually, basically, I have a base, and my base is in the U.S. And then uh, usually for at least for the past five years or so, I will be uh, on contract with a particular donor or NGO, and I'll be doing a specific assignment uh, either overseas uh, in their country office or uh, in some instances uh, home-based with, uh, with some limited travel. Um, and it really depends on what the assignment is. Um, if it's proposal writing, for example, and say I'm brought on for two months or six weeks or however long to, uh, to put together a uh, USAID proposal, uh, some NGO will, will hire me as, as one of their technical writers, and I'll fly over to, to uh, their country office or a, or a bid partner country office, and I'll get a lot of on-the-ground details and then come back and, and do a lot of the, the, the writing up of it. Um, and I guess the other sort of work uh, that I do is uh, broad sectoral writing. And I guess one example of that would be an assignment I did a couple of years back with, um, with the World Bank Water and Sanitation Program in, uh, in Tanzania. And I, was, I did a... a gosh, maybe four or five month uh, research project looking at, uh, looking retrospectively on uh, sanitation hygiene uh, projects and programs in the country, uh, largely rural ones, and looking at what were the sort of, um, what were the challenges, opportunities, things like that. 
Got it. Got it. Now, before we get too deep into the into the interview, I'd like to to ask you what you got your PhD in. Great. Um, my PhD is in geography, um, and but it really was a case study in access to water in Dar es Salaam, Tanzania. Um, so the the PhD just just says geography, but largely the way um, the way. Uh, our department was uh, was set up, and it was at uh, King's College London. Um, was there was this? Uh, there wasn't a dividing line, but there were the human geographers and the physical geographers. The physical geographers doing a lot of remote sensing, uh, GIS mapping hazards and uh, physical risk work, and the human geographers, um, including me, uh, did a lot of uh, well. Human geography, so so things, various social environmental risks, and and uh, and that's where I fit in. Got it, got it. Um, so so with all this uh, work that you've been doing in the wash space, can you give us uh, kind of the current current status of wash in the developing world? Sure. Um, the major, at least right now, the major um, metric. Um, for for wash is the uh, the SDGs or the Sustainable Development Goals, um, and uh, some of which include water, sanitation, and uh, and uh, hygiene or at least hand washing access. And so, for example, um, at least according to the last major report from a year or so ago. Um, 2.1 billion people um, are without safe water at home, and about 4.5 billion are without safely managed uh, sanitation. And I guess in one major uh, implication for, for both of those uh, both of those things is that uh, 361,000 children under five globally die because of diarrhea or, or related um, related uh, issues. Got it. So, so you know, how, how does one go and tackle the problem? Uh, because it, you know, with those kind of numbers, it's it's staggering. So, so what are what are some ways that you you kind of attack that that the whole wash problem? Okay. Um, well, first off, it's it's worth it's worth acknowledging um, the the previous metric, um, and that was the Millennium Development Goals, and that was basically to to um, cut in half um, the the the, uh, the number of number of people without acts with um, without improved water without an Im, without improved sanitation, and so one of the the and one of the take-homes from uh, from that was well, the the metric was a lot less picky. Um, improved sanitation uh, was was basically saying you didn't have a certain type of um, uh, access access to a certain type of facility. Um, and the same thing with water. If you were accessing a shallow well, that was not an improved source. And in um, the numbers back then were something of the order of 2.1 um, billion 
without sanitation, seven, seven or 800 million without improved water. And one of the reasons why the numbers went up in terms of the the current measurements under the under the SDG regime is because there were really higher standards and higher standards dealt with things like the quality of the water, the availability of the of the service. And so it's really it's really sort of a pickier, more specific metric. And that's why the numbers are big. That's where the problem looks even bigger, because it's honestly more realistic. And it's the same thing or similar thing with with sanitation moving from improved or, you know, which type of facility would be considered improved or unimproved to a to a more detailed ladder, they call it, which is largely everything from open defecation where you have you're just you're just you're just going in the wild, just just out in the middle of, you know, anywhere on the ground to unimproved, limited, basic and then safely managed being more specific in terms of how the excreta is disposed and managed. So so to some extent, the problem looks bigger because they're being more specific about how the program, how the excuse me, the the problem is defined. And to tackle your your larger question about how do you go about doing that is what I can. I assume that was that was the. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I'd love to hear for about a minute or so. And there's so many, so many answers to that. And I mean, the the sort of two cent answer is, well, achieve the STGs to the extent that they can, because those 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 metrics are 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 largely very good. But how you get there is very, very is very different question. So you say, how do you get there? And with access to water and an urban area, how do you get to improved access to water and small in a small town context? How do you improve access to water in a in a rural in a rural situation? And you ask the same three questions with with sanitation and you get a different suite of 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 answers, really, or at least potential approaches. And so, I mean, water and sanitation issues have been addressed or at least attempted to be addressed through through government initiatives, through donor supported initiatives, through NGO implemented ones, et cetera. And you what I look at is I try to learn from experience, other people's experience, because there are many who came before many, many, many people came before me in the wash sector. And I like to look at why a particular project succeeded 
or failed. And then I categorize, or at least in my head, categorize the, 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 the failure of success. Sort of was the, the technology right? Um, you know, was there any issue, issue with, you know, spare parts for a water pump in a, you know, in a, in a small borehole or a set of boreholes in, in, in uh, rural areas? So that, that would be sort of a, a, a technological reason. Then economic reason, you look at um, cost recovery, and that's cost recovery, the same thing, but it's different in, in, in different scales. And, and I imagine, you know, you know, you know water utilities very well, right? So, I mean, it's it, honestly in a big, in, in big uh, Asian, you know, Asian, uh, Sub-Saharan Africa, uh, Latin America, um, water utility issues in these big cities, these mega cities, you know, anywhere from three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten million, um, they have the same issues with um, non-revenue water, um, uh, sort of billing efficiency and, and water loss and bringing on more paying customers and all these things. Um, all these things uh, are long-term problems. You look at, you know, you, you sort of, you look at the sort of uh, annual or semi-annual uh, report on African utilities that the World Bank puts puts out, and you, you know, there's there's hopeful things. You look at non-revenue water decreasing um, over the course of, uh, you know, a couple of years in a major utility, and, and I'll give you an example. Um, if you don't mind, one uh, with, with Dar es Salaam, which I studied for off and on for the four plus years that I was doing my research there. And um, here was a city that, you know, back in, you know, 2006, 7, 8 or so had maybe three, three and a half million people. And, um, and they had 50 or 60,000 um Billable connections, and it's, so that was the situation. And of course, wow. oh yes, and about in an NRW of uh, about sixty-seven percent, so about two thirds <laughs> of the water was leaked, stolen, uh, uh, not paid for. But if you look now, it, it the the you know the water utility in Dar es Salaam. NRW is close to like 50, 51, so it's getting there. They're doing a lot of work on uh, sort of um, uh, mobile bill pay for for, um, for new customers, for, for um, especially new actual connections. Um, uh, so, I mean, there's progress. Right. Um, so. Okay, so let me ask you um, a question concerning – because uh, because we've you use the I think you characterize as management of in Wash. You said you, they, how you manage the problem, and then we've talked about the water utilities in these developing countries. Let's let's talk a little about how how kind of integrated water management, integrated water resource management, and how that relates to Wash. I mean, because I'd like to kind of this is an area that I haven't really explored before, and I think it would be interesting to to get your um, you know your take on on how IWRM uh, works in relationship with Wash. 
Great. Um, this this is one area where at least I think that um, I think differently from from a lot of people in in the water sector, and and that's uh, I look at it very um, simply conceptually because I understand there's you know there's different detail, but basically in a in a large major. Uh, major city, you know, you, you really have to have bulk water. You have to have uh, a, a steady sort of future-proof, climate change-proof uh, water supply, whether, you know, you're pulling from a uh, you know, from surface water, groundwater, some mix thereof, and you have the, you know, you, you, you have the, um, you, you have the bulk water. And you also have the, the 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 technology and the systems to basically can, you know convert it into drinking water a much uh, uh, much higher uh, higher value higher cost um, product really or service whatever whatever you want to call it um, and the way I look at the interaction is basically well you 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 look at a, at a at least at a national scale, um, and you say, okay, what's the what are the use patterns? How much to, to to sort of agriculture water? How much industrial and sort of historical or current use? And you know whether there are any issues with um, any challenges in terms of keeping the the uh, keeping the the water utility fed, so to speak. If there are problems. Then, then my question for the IWRM people, and of course, I'm not one of them. I, I mean, I have somewhat of a background. You know, one of my uh, secondary supervisors was the was the man who who invented the term virtual water, uh, Tony Allen at King College London, and so I understand the the the, the um, conceptual framework of of the water basin and and uh, cooperation and all that. But specifically, um, when there's a situation where where a, a utility in a growing city needs a new source or needs an improved source, an additional whatever, um, how, what are the processes to sort of uh, to share water with with other competing uses? And so I guess that question is: Okay, is this permit? Is this Historical use, and then then that gets into the sort of detailed negotiations of permits and historic use, and that's I mean I'm conversant somewhat in that, and so my question for the IWRM people is, well, 80 percent of your water in say for example um, uh, South Africa is is going to your your uh, agriculture and your vineyards and this and that, and you have cities like um, like Cape Town that had this huge zero water where, you know, where the city's going to run dry unless, unless people, you know, conserve or, you know, this, that, which, you know, conservation is fine. But when I look at it and say, well, where's the transfer, at least a little, uh, like a, a long-term effort to, to sort of transfers through, through permits, tradable water and, and so that's where I kind of um, that's where I kind of hit the wall in terms of the the interaction between Wash and IWRM, IWRM, and um, 
and I've had conversations like this before, and they say, well, uh, tradable permits are just too hard. Well, <laughs> that doesn't mean you give up, right? Right, right. But um, so, 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 but I mean, sort of the general, um, the the general understanding or at least appreciation for IWRM is I look at I look at a lot of lessons that I learned from uh, from Tony Allen, and one was was the idea of virtual water. Um, you know the the markets or uh, you know in a in a command and control economy which they still exist. Uh, you can you can switch your 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 sort of water use. You can go from um, less water intensive crops to, to to you know from more to more water intensive to less intensive ones rather. Um, you know and and also the idea of um, they're really incentives for cooperation um, across a basin, across a multi-country basin. Um, water is fresh water is distributed uh, unevenly, of course, um, but um, that that I mean, I guess you could say there's regional water scarcity in the sense that everyone's not totally inundated in fresh water. Um, and I understand that perspective, but but my um, my my take on scarcity really is um, there's a scarcity of good water management and cooperation across IWRM and WASH. So that's that's my really opinionated perspective. <laughs> well, I appreciate. It. I you know it's good that you come on and express an opinion. Um, you you bring up an interesting point there in terms of 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 the relationship and that leads into governance right you know because if in IWRM you got to have some governance over the water and so can you talk a little about your experience in terms of government regulation including decentralization of water um uh, I, i'd just be interested in, in in your perspective on that within the wash space of course okay um I, I can mention one particular story. I was I remember a um, uh, this was while I was uh, probably about third year of the PhD. I was sitting in a, um, a, pr- a third year presentation from a uh, from a colleague. She was one of the uh, she was one of the big water people, as I called them. I was small water because I was washed because they deal with large volumes. Um, and I remember she was talking about a particular section of the basin, the the, um, the the Nile Basin, and and my question to her after the whole presentation about the sort of cooperation regionally, et cetera, et cetera. Um, my question was, um, where is the where is the governance or accountability? given the fact that you have a very fast, really multiple very fast urbanizing, increasingly thirsty uh, cities, including Cairo and other, you know, Alexandria, other sort of very mega, mega, mega cities. Um, where is um, the accountability? Where, what's the trigger to, to sort of uh, do the things that I was just alluding to, the... Um, Shifting uh, water allocation if you're if you're top down or sort of trading if you're you have a market perspective, but basically what 
are the triggers to um, addressing increasingly thirsty cities within that basin. And the response that I got was, was it was, um, first she was dumbfounded. She said, well, the ministers decide. And I said, well, how do they decide? Do they just, do they get public pressure? Is there like, I mean, what's the sort of, what's the trigger for that? And so for me, that's something like that speaks to um, uh, accountability. Um, because the way I conceptualize governance, I mean, I guess you could say governance is just management, but governance is a little more than management. Governance is to, to me is the, um, is the sort of, um, structures and people that are really managing a particular resource and how that relates to the, to the, uh, to the resource users, the, the you know, the stakeholders who theoretically are, uh, you know, uh, part of this whole network. And, um, and so that's the way I conceptualize, um, governance. And I guess, um, I look at this, what the World Bank, um, about 15, 14, 15 years ago, they came out with this, um, I thought, really good, very, very basic um, conceptualization of um, accountability for uh, urban services. And it wasn't just water. Um, it was, you know, health, electricity service, and things like that. And it was, I think it was 2004, so uh, making services work for the poor or some title like that. And it had short and long root accountability. And it was basically based on the, the idea that, well, at least with water, either pay for it or it's provided, and it's provided because you're paying taxes or because you're a citizen. And so just sort of just looking at how, I mean, how utilities work in most places. I mean, here the, you know, the, the, the infrastructure is tax funded, but you still pay, uh, you still pay rates. And so it's a, it's a mixture of that. But within that is an embedded accountability. And the way I look at water governance is, is um, how do you get there? Do you, um, do the, does the sort of accountability just magically increase, you know, sort of through uh, participatory budgeting process or, you know, when your utility wants to raise your rate, they have to have a public, you know, whatever it is. Um, or it's just magically the households can afford more, you know, and then they can access more water. Because that's the, you know, that's the sort of, um, that's my conceptualization. Either you, you you access it by buying it, or it's given to you as part of your part of your sort of um, social compact that's really facilitated with taxes. Um, so I hope that explains it. Yeah, I think that 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 helps you know fill in some color on I don't want to say perceived, but how governance works in in Wash. Now we've talked a lot about I think I think when most people think of Wash, they think of rural villages with people not having any access whatsoever. Um, but, but you've kind of given us this new spin on uh, looking into more urbanized areas that have wash issues. So, you know, are there, are there parallels that we can draw between, um, uh, you know, developing world utilities and kind of the developed world utilities? 
I think so. Um, I mean, I'll, I'll give you one, um, one major uh, developed world, my, my hometown example of, um, of governance within, with, within the water sector and, you know, and sort of give you further parallels. And um, my dad, when he retired 20 some odd years ago, um, he was so bored that he took on the uh, chairman of public works sort of volunteer position, a city just north of Boston, uh, maybe 50,000 people. And um, in this particular city, at least at that point, it used to be half the city was, it was either um, Irish American or Italian American and whichever uh, mayor had a, favoritism to to that particular group so when my dad came into his his position he had this backlog of um of water bills that he had to adjust that were sort of uh the the, the previous administration basically overcharged um a ton of small businesses and then wouldn't bother showing up to correct their bill and just took the larger bill until the next administration came in and and hopefully they didn't sort of um screw over the other non favorite favorite half and so that's that that's that was my um that was my water governance sort of um introduction decades ago that in the in that, <laughs> of course that and of course the movie chinatown which oh, yeah. you know how can that uh, how can that not be my favorite movie um but in terms of general parallels certainly um just how um how the utility is run um and and i guess what the public accountability situation is you know whether there's you know there 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 um smaller granted it works in smaller cities um where you you know the the scale of of participation really really works a lot better than a, you know the the mega city um but participatory budgeting um that's one mechanism um that you see you see like i said over here in you know when utilities want to um uh, you, know, you know, when they want to, lo your local city wants to spend money on a, you know, an upgrade on facility, it's, you know, maybe there's a ballot question, but there's some, you know, they want to raise their rates, there's public accountability for, um, and so I think things like that, although they happen in certain contexts, maybe smaller cities, less so much big cities, um, those types of, um, initiatives that really um, facilitate um, facilitate feedback honestly um, and so I think those are some um, those are some parallels and some parallels where there could be um, like a deeper commonality uh, made um, another another example is a utility report cards in in um, in Nairobi, they, they they came up with them at least a decade or so ago, um, and that was just one way to get uh, underserved communities to sort of maybe get a little um, higher up on the priority list when it came to uh, I extending uh, at least kiosk access, you know, within an um, informal settlement. 
Um, and so I look, I try to look at things from a um, 10,000 foot view or however high planes fly, 30,000 feet. I'm not a pilot. I would be a horrible pilot if I don't know how high to fly. Um, but uh, just to try to make those parallels. Got it. Now, so so there's been a lot in the news lately about like Detroit and New Orleans. So these are these are developed world cities, uh, and and you know there's been a lot of uh, news about shutoffs and affordability and things like that. And that's that to me speaks to the wash issue in the developed world. You know, have have you followed kind of you know Detroit and and I, I, Detroit's probably the top of the mind, but I've, I guess I've seen some articles recently on New Orleans, and I'm just kind of curious, you know, what what your thoughts are on on Wash in those contexts? Yeah, the 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 flexibility to to have different um, to have different pricing um, is is extraordinary, um, and and in some cases it's, it's it's either not there for it's not there for 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 various reasons. Um, or um, financing for connections, which is often a huge thing in um, in in developing country cities. Um, but at least in Detroit, I see I see uh, I see the argument, you know, for shifting rates, having lifeline rates, having sort of be, you know your base level of base level of service. Um, the other thing that that I want to um, I want to suggest is, um, and this isn't a Detroit thing. This I just thought of this while we were talking about you know connections and, and rates, um, and that's to have um, intermediate solutions for water supply in, in major African or Asian cities. Um, and those intermediate solutions would be um, kiosks, uh, certain volumetric discounts at kiosks, uh, shared, more shared household connections, and really sort of flexibility on the, on the sharing end, not just on the billing Okay, great. Well, I mean, I, I think that gives us some good context. And, and Ed, I, I, I really want to thank you for coming on. You've been terrific. And, and I've, I've, one of the most important connections I've made today, I think, was, was really highlighting that WASH is not just a rural issue. Uh, WASH uh, also um, affects, you know, it, it affects urban areas too, and, and it can be in the U.S. So I think that's, that's one of the big distinctions I uh, drew out from, from today's session. So, uh, again, thank you so much for coming on. You've been fantastic. Uh, for those folks who want to find out more about you and, uh, your work, where can they go to find that information? Uh, they can go to my, uh, my website, just my personal consulting website. It's edborkconsulting.com. So E D B O U R Q U E consulting.com. Awesome. Well, Ed, again, thank you so much. Happy holidays to you, and uh, we'll talk soon. Great. Thanks for having me. You bet. Bye, Ed. Bye. Well, I hope you liked that interview with Ed Bork. I thought he did a great job, and, you know, I, I, I really learned something. I know it sounds corny, but I learned something from every one of my guests. And, and this week, one of the things that I, I learned the most, and I think I said this during the interview, was that uh, it kind of opened my eyes to the urban wash uh, situation. You know, I've, I, I, like many people probably have thought, 
you know, wash is more like the there's rural villages and things like that where they need water. But really, there there are uh, significant wash issues in urban settings uh, as well. So that's that was my biggest takeaway from from that interview with Ed. Um, I'd love to hear what you found interesting in the podcast. You can. Uh, leave a comment on the show notes. Those uh, you'll find the show notes for this episode of uh, the Water Values Podcast at thewatervalues.com forward slash pod one three seven. You can tweet about the podcast using the hashtag Water Values. You can tweet at me with my handle, which is at DTM one nine nine three. You can send me an email. Uh, my uh, email is David at thewatervalues.com. Uh, I'd really be interested to hear what you thought about this episode. Um, and like we talked about at the top of the show, we're trying to get to a hundred five-star ratings by December 31st. Now uh, it's kind of changed my goal because you guys helped me. And by the way, thank you so much. You guys have helped me uh, just smash the goal. I'd set way back in uh, August or September of hitting just a hundred, hundred ratings by the end of the uh, end of the year. We're already at 106. Uh, so thanks so much with plenty of time to spare that is. And so uh, please rate, review the podcast. We'd greatly appreciate it. If you're in the charitable mood, you can always help support the podcast financially by going to thewatervalues.com, clicking on the little uh, PayPal button and uh, donating in any denomination you see fit would be greatly appreciated to help defray the costs of putting the podcast on. Well, in closing, please remember to keep the core message of the Water Values podcast in mind as you go about your daily business. Water is our most valuable resource, so please join me by going out into the world and acting like it. listening to the water values podcast thank you for spending some of your day with my dad and me thank you for tuning into the disclaimer i'm a lawyer licensed in indiana and colorado and this podcast does not establish an attorney-client relationship with you or anyone else information in this podcast should not be considered legal advice further this podcast is not a solicitation for professional employment i'm just a lawyer who finds water issues interesting and who believes greater public education about water issues is necessary And that includes enhancing my own education about water issues because no one knows everything about water. Thanks for listening, and we'll talk to you next time.